Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So, uh, Briar Patch. Oh, you're just going right into that, huh? Dude, I, I just, I want to know, because every time you've described this, it sounded like you consider this to be some sort of Waterloo in television writing slash directing. This was the last stand where you were like, everything's broken, the center cannot hold, and I'm just watching it and I'm like, it's a totally pleasant like detective procedural. Fair. What's the problem? Why is Phil so stressed out? It is a very well done show. It is a very well done yeah. show, and I did enjoy watching quite a bit of it. Mm-hmm. It does feel like the culmination of so many other TV shows. Like, it has so much of so many other shows in it. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It is the potluck. It is like, the, it's the stew that has all of the other ingredients from previous meals in it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I get it. The Brunswick stew vibe. Thank you, thank you. All right. Yeah, it, it does. It has a lot of that. It's got Twin Peaks. It has, you know, J.R. Ferguson from Mad Men. It's got some uh, some Mr. Robot vibes. It's got, obviously, a crime element from, you know, Breaking Bad. It's got all of that. It just feels like peak, peak, like distilled prestige television. The animals from the zoo escaping. And so it's just like in every episode, you'll just have an establishing shot where it's like, hey, guys, we rented some giraffes just for just for flavor. You know, we're just adding some quirk to this right. scene. And then characters walk up and just start talking about uh, some murder investigation mm-hmm. or something. They're really throwing their their budget, you know, down there. They're, they're yeah, the yeah, exactly. That, which I do appreciate. I do, too. 
it's funny you say how it's this culmination in a way and it stars rosario dawson who i feel like is somebody who we've been waiting for her to get her shot for so Absolutely long. Absolutely agree. Yes. And she gets this and it's the showcase and then it's fucking canceled after one season. Yeah. So uh, that's frustrating. <sighs> but you've seen the whole thing. This was the other thing is I saw the mm-hmm. pilot and I was like, hey, I thought it was pretty good. And you're like, I can't believe you think that. And I'm like, oh, okay. So so did you watch any more? And you're like, yeah, yeah, I watched the whole thing. I see how it is. <laughs> you're like, I can't believe you didn't think it was trash. By the way, I binged the whole season. Fair enough. Fair enough. I- I'll concede that point. You got me. But I understand the appeal. You got the lovely Miss Dawson here. And it is very well cast. Yeah, yeah. Brian Garrity's mm-hmm. awesome in it, too. All the supporting characters have that good noir mm-hmm. flavor, you know, kind of shifty and sweaty. That's pretty cool. My thing about her, though, and you could probably speak to this as, like, her character develops over the season, but up front, she's this icy, tough character she's she's got her issues she's got her checkered Mm -hmm. past but she's presenting as very put together and also like grief stricken about losing her sister which is the first thing that happens in the show is that her sister's murdered and she's trying to figure it out and uh i feel like she gets cast as these sort of put together no nonsense characters Mm -hmm. a lot because she's so stunning and you can just put her in a scene and she just it's like who is that you know you're just your eyes are drawn to her like holy shit rosario dawson you know but the thing about her is she's a big nerd she is and it's like anytime you hear her talk she's actually like oh yeah i grew up this kind of like awkward tomboy and i have five super hot brothers so i was always insecure and i really like science fiction and all this stuff but she's also a total smoke show who looks like she could be on a runway like at Mm -hmm. any second she has this weird dichotomy about her and i feel like no role has ever written to that exactly i would agree 100 percent. i would say that this show also doesn't take into account that aspect of who she is and again this was based on a book if i'm not mistaken uh so this is an adaptation so maybe there's no room for that um within this series however i think it would be great for someone to write a television show to write a a movie a script and take into account the fact that this woman is is a part of nerddom are you gonna keep watching it uh, yeah dude i i don't i think i'll stick with briar patch i think i'll okay. finish it it's it's very watchable i just like seeing rosario in the lead mm-hmm. of something i just i just enjoy her as a person i think she's such a good actor and uh you know even if like i said it's doesn't feel like that perfect role for her that takes advantage of everything that's interesting about her it's still it's it's a quirky noirish mystery it's exactly my shit it is it really is you're gonna love it (laughs) and you over here is still like hmm fucking mediocre (laughs) even though you've watched more of briar patch than 98 percent of the population oh my god you're right (laughs) I have no room to talk. What is wrong with me? You're the number one Briar Batch fan over here. And honestly, I mean, the other thing about it, dude, is like, I totally see why it was canceled. Yeah. Just looking yeah. at it. Because it's on fucking USA. 
And you see the commercials for it, you see any sort of marketing material, and it looks like this fun, chill mystery starring, like, a celebrity you kind of know and would be like, oh, yeah, I'd watch her in, in a show. But then you start to watch it, and it's not it's not suits. Nope. You know? Yeah. It's not easy breezy at no. all. It's well shot. You have to pay attention to it. It's tough. It's not a USA show. It's weird because um, Sam is male coming from Mr. Robot. It's weird. He has some kind of a working relationship with USA now, I guess. Mm -hmm. So he can just set up another series there. The problem is, I feel like Mr. Robot was that one show that everybody who didn't watch USA turned to that channel just to same. watch. Same. I was one of those people. Yeah, same, same. And that was, that was a sort of one-time thing where it was like, this show is so good. You have to like go to this channel. You wouldn't otherwise mm -hmm. troll just to watch yep. it. And... You know, unfortunately, I mean, I think Briar Patch didn't quite have that level of, like, buzz or, right. like, critical acceptance. And, you know, it's not on the Mr. Robot level anyway. No. I mean, it's fair to say. But it's just so so weird. It's like, is he going to get stuck on this network that no. doesn't really, like, cater to I him? I don't think so. Um, my understanding is that he's already developing, what is it, Battlestar Galactica reboot? And I think that's associated oh, really? with NBC. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. I could be wrong about that, but uh, I'm pretty sure that's what I heard. I mean, NBC owns sci-fi, I believe. Okay. So I wonder if it's another sci-fi production. Maybe. I don't know what's up with that channel these days, though, man. They got into reality shit for a while, and I don't know. Not my bread and butter. <laughs> now they got all this trash to, like, the magicians. They're basically like CW shows with You're there for a all little extra sci-fi twist. You're, you're oh, there for yeah, all of totally. it, don't lie. Oh, my God. You're eating it up. <laughs> you're binging that instead of Briar Patch. You just, just step off right now. <laughs> we doing this? Yeah, let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Goat Season. So happy to have you with us. This is a podcast about the greatest individual seasons of television of all time, their most memorable episodes, and their creative teams both in front of and behind the camera. My name is Alex Anessi, and along with me is my co-host, the greatest ever to draw breath, the one and only Philip Mitchell. I've accrued many titles. Yeah, yeah. of course. <laughs> Excited about today? Oh, so excited, man. So excited. Okay, okay, okay. Episode. So... Yes, yes. Next episode, we are going to rank all of the episodes in season one. That is right. And on our very first miniseries, I'm already breaking format. I am actually going to spoil my ranking. Oh my gosh, why? Because, as you might as you might be feeling, as you might have guessed at this point, Isabella is my favorite episode of season one. Okay. Okay, I like that. I am putting it out there, not just because it's my favorite of the season. It's basically my favorite of the season by default. Because okay. this is also my favorite episode of The Sopranos, period. Really? From the whole series. Wow. Even, you know, regardless of season, this is just the one. This is I it. Have the most nostalgia for. It's the one that's everything I love about the show contained in a single hour. It means a lot to me. It elevates the whole season, in my opinion. And uh, yeah, I figure it's just a way to get into it. Okay, so you just wanted to let everyone know that this episode is at your top. This is the tippity top. It is the top, man. I mean, so many people would say something like Pine Barrens. Or college. Or college. And even college. You know, I think college is 
so great. It stands out as the other Alan Coulter directed episode of the season. And he's so obviously like the strongest director in the roster at this point. But for me, college is still like kind of this one-off kind of this bottle episode. It's putting Tony in an unfamiliar environment and all this. This episode has all of the cinematic qualities, all of the fluidity of Alan Coulter's direction. But at the same time, it's also Tony with his crew in his element with Livian Jr. scheming against him. It's everything we love about the show just done in like the grandest way possible. I would agree. So today we are talking about episode 12 of the first season of Sopranos, Isabella. Isabella. So this is definitely the episode that we've all been waiting for. All of the narrative threads are being pulled together. It picks up pretty much, I want to say, not too long after uh, Big Pussy disappears, correct? Yeah, but there's been some kind of a time jump. I want to say like maybe two, three weeks, like maybe a month. I don't know. I, I think it's really interesting how we come in and Tony's already in this super depressive state. Like, yeah. we didn't see the collapse so much. We're just seeing him already, like, bedridden in his own head. And I'm fascinated by the show's portrayal of depression. I'm fascinated by how it threads into all of the mob intrigue. But you also get the impression it's sort of irrelevant to it, too. Right. Tony's dark mood in the end, he might blame on Pussy's disappearance or any number of other stressors in his life. But you get the impression it's more like he has those things acting on him, but also that he just has a depressive impulse in him. Yeah. Maybe he's indulging it a little more than he ever has before, but this is a part of him. It's a part of his psychological makeup. Absolutely. So Tony, uh, his depression worsens to the extent that the crew is incredibly worried. He briefly snaps out of this depressive state when he happens to meet and strikes up a connection with Isabella, who is this absolutely lovely Italian dental student who appears to be house-sitting for the next-door neighbors, Dr. Cusimano. And Tony is just, like, taken with this woman, right? He goes out to have lunch with her, and he has this incredibly uh, domestic reverie in which he sees her nursing a, a small child. And at the same time that all of this is happening, and he's, he's struggling with his depression, his mental health, um, and this new connection that he has, Uncle June, Mikey Palmisi, and Livia, they are scheming. They are ready to move forward and go ahead and give the orders to kill Tony. Mikey Palmisi is uh, carrying out the details. He is hiring people. He is uh, he is interviewing people to make this happen <laughs> with great delight, right? With great delight and precision, right? I could have stood to see even more of the interview process, right? Yes. It's like, how many people do you think he killed in the process just of conducting his job interview? <laughs> That's some shit. It's like, you're not even getting murdered as a way of being fired. You're getting murdered as like, nah, we didn't really like your interview. Exactly. <laughs> Done. So yeah. Poor Donnie, dude. I know, man, he didn't even see it coming. Oh, he, that was brutal. Yeah. Good casting on him too. Like, mm-hmm. He looked like just the right amount strung out. You know yes, what I'm saying? Yes, he did. Yeah. He had just woken up after a couple of day long bender for certain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, Junior's moving forward. He's given his blessing for the hit on Tony, and he really doesn't have the stomach for it. Literally, you can see that he is not capable of making some really tough decisions as the boss. Even as this is happening, his foundation and his crew 
uh, his cohort is kind of coming apart a little bit because Livia is starting to uh, demonstrate the first signs of dementia. And so he has had this partner, this confidant who has worked with him throughout the entire season. And now it seems that he might be on his own in this endeavor. Yeah. And you have to wonder, is this a strategic is, move exactly, from Livia? Exactly. And you see, you see the first time she exhibits a sign of dementia is in the most public forum, surrounded by Tony, her family, mm-hmm. everybody. Mm-hmm. And Junior's just over here watching, like, what the fuck is she doing? Yeah. He's so many steps behind her. You he know? really is. He's being left in the dust here. Yeah, he has no idea what's going on, which is so sad. At the <laughs> same time that this is happening, essentially the hit, it, it goes through. Tony is attacked by two um, two assassins, and he does survive the attempt on his life. As he's recovering, he's reinvigorated by the experience of having actually fought off two assassins. He regroups with the crew, and he's spurred on to smoke out, you know, the rat who he already thinks and knows is, is Junior. As he's recovered, he has curiously found out that Isabella has vanished, and even goes over to Dr. Cusimano, who tells him that he never had a house guest. He never had anyone watching um, his house while he was away. Interesting. We'll talk about that. Essentially, what, where this uh, the episode leaves and, and ends is t- uh, Tony again, considering how he's going to retaliate. It, it is leading to a potential showdown between himself and Uncle Junior. And as much as he does not want to admit it, it also leads to him potentially con- confronting uh, Livia. Yeah. Great episode. Like I said my favorite episode of one of the best shows of all time mm-hmm. and it's it's hard for me to quantify is this one of the best hours of television ever because the thing about the sopranos is even at its best it never has that sort of like weight of importance of other shows where you're like that was such an edifice of mm-hmm. an episode you know mm-hmm. this just feels like an incredibly tight well-tuned surprising exciting funny interesting episode of a show that just has so so many strong points you know and and i feel like every single strong point of this show everything that's great about the sopranos just gets to shine a little bit more i like what you said about the fact that it is tense and it is funny at the same time because that is absolutely true one of the things i wrote down about this episode is the scene where livia Like you said, she is going kind of off the deep end. She's talking about infanticide again. She makes a comment about Tony. He goes upstairs because he's upset with her, and she starts crying. And then she says, oh, what I said was just a joke. And then AJ comes in, which I think which is like the line of the episode, and he says, Grandma, if it was a joke, why are you crying? And it's so (laughs) funny because it's innocent, and yet it's actually the appropriate question to be asking, which is, what are you doing, woman? Such a good moment. I burst out laughing when Uh, you said that. It's kind of taking the weird anti-chemistry that they had back in Down Neck, Mm -hmm. where it's like she just could not manipulate him in any way because he's too dense and he's too innocent, right? It's just all on the surface with AJ. (laughs) And in the same way, he's able to like cut through all of her bullshit. He is. Oh, it's so good. (laughs) Yeah. And she is so vicious, dude, in that dinner scene. I mean, you just see how like hateful she is. And just watching her performance closely, it kind of like made a chill go up my spine to realize how angry she was and Mm -hmm. how all of her 
venom and all of her impulse to actually murder her child was like just pouring out of her as she sat at the dinner table with his family mm-hmm. and you're like jesus christ this family man which is funny because that's exactly what uh jackie april said i think in like episode three or four which is jesus christ the sopranos what is wrong with you guys God, that seems so long ago. It seems, thinking back on it, Michael Rispoli was such a great early character on the show because he really does seem to represent this time of even-handedness mm-hmm. when things were just a little bit more stable. Mm-hmm. He was already on his way out. Yeah. Again, to get back to, like, Alan Coulter's directing, I think this is one of the most cinematic episodes the By show far. has ever done. Yeah. I love the way that... It'll just let a song like Tiny Tears by Tinder Sticks play with almost no other background soundtrack, you know, just a little bit of sound effect. But just like let the song play as as Tony is zoning out in his bathrobe and you're just you're you're in a mood, you know, you're <laughs> you're at this point in the series where so much has been done to build up these characters dramatically that sometimes you can have a scene where you don't need dialogue. You right. don't need the plot to be moving forward. You can just rest sort of in the visuals in a really great song. And uh, it's so powerful, man. Yeah. We've done all the work that we need to do. We've set everything up. We can just sort of have these moments play out in the most cinematic way possible. Yeah. Yeah. And having the song come back in during the hit is such a cool callback. We'll, we'll talk about that scene at length separately but uh i i just i'm interested by how the directing feels different in this episode and yet also it feels like the show has built up to this point where it can be this fluid i might as well just go ahead and talk about what i think are the most notable episodes then because of the directing the most notable scenes yeah excuse me yeah Yeah, most notable scenes yeah i I think in it's two and they're back to back And for me, the most notable scenes were the scene where Carmela catches Tony watching Isabella out in the uh, Cusamano's yard. There's that scene, and then it's immediately followed by the scene with Junior and Livia, and they're outside the theater. And I remember that scene is, to me, is so notable because it starts off with the camera following a hat rolling or being blown down the sidewalk and the camera's just kind of like it is dollying in and it's following this hat being blown down the sidewalk and then just kind of stops and then tilts up to Junior and Livia and I just think that's such a great it's such a good moment of both of these scenes Um, and then the first one Carmela and Tony I really just do like the way that Coulter uses the camera to create this eyeline where Carmela seems so powerful and so intense. Like she almost seems like she's as tall as him, but she Mm -hmm. appears so powerful and Tony just collapses onto the bed and he just like seems to go asleep. Obviously the scene, we could talk about this, like it's not real. It didn't happen. But that moment, uh, it just, that really hit me just to watch her back him onto the bed and just make him just kind of retreat into himself. And yeah, and I think the camera work from Coulter in the in the second uh, scene that I was just referring to is great. Just that that shot of the hat uh, blowing down the sidewalk for some reason just really got me. It feels so propulsive. Yeah, it's an awesome way into the scene, and it's also this subtle totem of doom in that you never see a person chasing after the hat. Right. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the sense of oh, this person was just blown away. Yeah. And that's all that remains of them. Yeah. And the sense of the winds shifting being this bad thing like danger is coming 
imaginary characters. Oh, oh! Before we even get into that, there's something else. You I, had some I just thoughts thought, on that. Uh, just going off what you were saying when you were talking about Tony lying in bed and how the framing with Carmela was so different. I I really love how the episode takes advantage of the fact that he's depressed and bedridden to frame him in these shots where he's lying down, where he's horizontal against the axis of the frame. And it's such an unusual way of viewing him. Like, we never really see Tony like that. And uh, I think it's such a powerful visual depiction of depression. I, I think combined with his performance, you really get a sense of it. And I, I didn't really have much experience with depression the first time I watched this episode, but I, I immediately was like drawn in by the way that Tony was acting and you you empathize with him. And and since then, like just having a little more experience with it and knowing people who've dealt with it, I think it rings so true. Looking back on it, I'm like, yeah, that really is what depression feels like. I don't know if it had ever really been depicted so vividly. Uh, on a show either that i wouldn't be able to speak to but i would say that this depiction in its severity it does a very good job i think in depicting like the severity of what depression can look like uh, just like the fogginess and the uh, the lethargy and like the sense of like hopelessness that is there that's uh gandolfini does a great job uh depicting uh yeah i think it's just like on the money in all of those aspects yeah yeah you want to get into isabella a little bit i feel like her character's the one point where you could quibble with the episode. And I, I have my responses to it, but I, I want to hear yes. what you thought of her. She comes off as a caricature. And that's the thir- that's the first thing that I thought. Um, like, I had forgotten about the episode. And then seeing it again, I was like, this woman... I almost immediately felt like, yeah, this woman's not real. It's almost obvious that she's not real. She seems like she's too much. She is She is incredibly beautiful. She is incredibly welcoming. She is inviting and warm. And you're just like, this just doesn't feel, this doesn't feel right. This woman does not appear to be part of the Sopranos universe, you know, where <laughs> every other woman is somehow, you know, put upon or downtrodden or having to deal with just stupid men. She does not embody any of those characteristics. Um, and I would say, yeah, she does seem like a little bit of a caricature. But then it, uh, when you realize what's actually happening and that she isn't she isn't real, she's a hallucination, it does kind of make sense, right? Like, of course, this person seems otherworldly, ethereal, has all of these wonderful qualities. And, and so then it it does work. I think up until the point that you recognize that she's simply a, a figment of Tony's imagination, you could quibble with it. You could uh, say that it's a strike against the episode. This person could be a little bit more fleshed out or real or have some more grit to them. But the fact that she is just a formless spirit makes it, I think that makes it okay for me. Yeah, in in the casting of her, they they found uh, this Italian actress, uh, Maria Grazia Cucinata, who is so stunningly beautiful who has this just like sweetness this ethereal quality to her she had had a notable role in um il postino a little while before this which was Mm -hmm. kind of a big crossover art house international type hit uh you know just for being sexy it was one of those where it's like uh, come rent this foreign film it's gonna have lots of cleavage i I can just imagine the vhs box (laughs) for it (laughs) but uh i i think 
there is something in the casting where you're just like, this woman is almost too much. She looks like a Greco-Roman goddess. Mm. And yep. just by by the very fact of her, I can see that setting you off a bit. But, I mean, I think also that makes it a case of great casting. Yeah. She she just kind of nails that where it's like she she almost has a certain reality to her and there are certain little details about it that throw you off slightly but you're also just like this person is so stunning and so glamorous in a natural way that as you're saying we just don't see with the other female characters who all seem to have to like scrape and grind for whatever little bit of glamour they can they can throw off yeah but yeah i i just i really like the character especially thinking back on us discussing the season and its themes because i think she represents essentially all of the ways that tony interfaces with women in his life she Mm -hmm. sort of represents all of the ideals that he wishes he could get to in his relationships with Mm -hmm. women and it's it's Mm -hmm. so striking that what he ultimately seems to want is this impossibly beautiful maternal figure who he doesn't have to be sexual with who he can get to a point where he feels so secure that he can just evaporate and be a baby in her arms. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's the whole like Madonna and whore complex that all of these guys seem to struggle with coming to the surface. But you see, it's like, oh yeah, this is his perfect woman. This is the woman where he doesn't have to flirt with her. He doesn't have to chase her. She's just there and she's supporting him. And he can ultimately just be like, yeah, I guess you're going to be my mom now, kind of, but also really sexy. (laughs) And uh, I guess that's the dream, you know? Right. And it, it kind of shows oh, cool. where all of his problems arise from, too. Of course, right? Yeah, it, it, it it's hoof. I really yeah. love it for that reason. And uh, I can see people being like, well, would the lithium cause him to have such a vivid and complicated hallucination and all this and all that? And I can understand digging into the logic and maybe not buying it just on a story level. But to me, the metaphorical aspect of it is so rich that I'm like, yeah, let let them go for that, man. And yeah, I think yeah. it's also just become such a trope in prestige shows since. I think the whole thing of like an imaginary person or a ghost or someone who's not really there has become just such a formulaic landmark of all of these shows where it's like we just want someone for the main character to talk to where they can express something about themselves that they wouldn't to any real person. Yep. And I like that it's just for this one episode that it's this kind of funny, sexy, interesting encounter that he has that isn't like the encounters he has with anyone else. Like, I love that the episode basically starts with a meet cute where he picks up some of her laundry. And it's like, The Sopranos never has a meet cute, you know? It's all just like meet uglies, basically. (laughs) Just like like unfortunate (laughs) encounters that lead to unfortunate relationships unfortunate uglies yeah and this one time they get to do sort of this sweet romantic comedy beat within a really like serious intense episode that's got a lot of violence and depression and all sorts of other stuff in it and they fucking nail it man it's a great 
example of that kind of a scene. I put it up there with a lot of romantic comedies the first time the two leads run into each other. That's a great point. I would have not considered that before, but I agree with oh, you 100%. Cool, man. Yeah, that Thanks, is a bro. Meet- yeah, man. <laughs> I feel vindicated. <laughs> nah, nah, I'm fucking with you. <laughs> Wait until next episode. <laughs> oh shit! That's where that's where going to be contentious, man. Exactly. <laughs> that's where. Hammer. Oh yeah, yeah. Lines are going to be drawn. <laughs> Fault lines. <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Right. I guess uh, you, you could definitely speak to this. Like, have you ever heard of lithium or a combination of depression medications along those lines giving someone hallucinations and i i assume they wouldn't be hallucinations like this but um people's bodies react differently to different medicines so i i would be um hard pressed to say that you know a person couldn't but generally that tends to not be the case what i have heard often is you know that folks will struggle with depression and then experience um, a psychotic episode on top of their depression. So that is actually, I think, a little bit more likely than, you know, a, a person experiencing a hallucination as a result of, you know, psych medicine. And and for this encounter to happen the way it does it, it kind of would have to fall under psychotic episode, right? Yeah. Either that or yeah. he's like dreaming and not realizing that he's, that he's dreaming. Yeah. And so like, yeah. I couldn't tell the difference there. Like the scene where he goes to lunch with her, like I couldn't tell like, mm-hmm. hey, is this just a dream or is he actually eating lunch and assuming that he's talking with someone else? Or has he just been in bed the entire time and it's just having this like intense, uh, very involved reverie? We don't, And they don't really explain that to you, right? I, I think you could definitely let the show off the hook by just saying it's it's completely in a dream state they do make some like subtle hints at that like the the shop where he gets his medication is this like ancient pharmacy that says like like established in 1907 and it has weird like apothecary yeah that's right Mm -hmm. so uh, it feels like they're immediately saying like maybe this is some sort of an old world place maybe he sort of transitioning into Italy of his past already like he does later in the scene so there's also I think correct me if I'm wrong but there's the scene where where he has dinner with the family and I feel like mm-hmm. um he, he you know he he walks downstairs he's looking disheveled he's in his bathrobe but the scene right before that if I'm not mistaken is the lunch scene yeah it snaps to that really quick yeah 
Meadow says, dad, dinner. Exactly. Yeah. And so yeah. I just got the impression that maybe this is some of this is just a dream. Yeah. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so in that from that aspect, I do like if we're thinking it's a, a dream state, you know, psych meds are known to cause um, very vivid dreams uh, within people who are, are taking them. And so that is not um, out of the question for a person. Yeah. Yeah. I think the way that it ties into all of the themes of the whole season, because I, I could see someone just being like, oh, is this the show just being indulgent, having mm-hmm. him flirt with a beautiful Italian woman? Mm-hmm. But I, I really do think there's there's thematic groundwork that led up to this. Uh, Dude, it not, goes all the way. Yeah. Well, I'm interrupting oh. you. Go ahead. No, no, no go, go for it. No, go for no, it. No, 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 no. No, I was just no. thinking like this makes me think about the very first shot of the show where it's yeah. just the woman, the, the statue of the woman, and he's confused by it, right? Like, mm-hmm. this is this stern, austere figure staring down at him who really could be Livia if you wanted <laughs> to just say that, right? This could be Livia. And then, on the on, you know, by the end of the, uh, of the season, there's this angelic, nurturing, maternal figure who is, kind, who is very hot, um, and he's and just very statuesque, very, very classical. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it just it it's bookended on either side by these two, uh, these two women, these two figures. But what were you gonna say? No, no, I I I love that. I love that. I I was just gonna say I love that this episode makes room for the most sort of surreal aspects of The Sopranos, which mm-hmm. they come back to time and time again, mm-hmm. and. Oftentimes they'll do it where it's like a whole episode will be mostly dreams mm-hmm. from here on out. Like they do that in season two in the finale Fun House, and they mm-hmm. do that again in season five. And uh, to me, those episodes are always just like a little much. Yeah. Those those feel a little indulgent to me where it's just like, okay, we're just going to have 10 dream sequences yeah. or we're going to have an hour long dream across a whole episode. I love that in this one we get the surreal aspects, but we also get a lot of like very grounded sort of action and character involving mm-hmm. the the mafia. Mm-hmm. And uh, you get these amazing sequences of uh, assassinations that oh. are just, I mean, shot so well. I mean, shot probably some of the best the show ever did and coming so early in its run, too. You know you want to talk about it. Let's just go ahead. Oh, yeah. The assassination yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, scene. Ugh. What'd you think about it? I, I just, watching it again, I'm so impressed with it on a filmmaking level. Coulter's doing a few different things. He's using slow motion uh, when the assassin is initially firing his gun. Mm-hmm. Petit Claiborne, I think is his name. Yeah. But then it does this thing where it'll have him firing his gun in slow motion. And then when it cuts to Tony diving into the car and the window exploding, it actually goes into a fast shutter speed mm-hmm. right after that, mm-hmm. which essentially a fast shutter speed is where the camera is taking pictures at a faster rate, yeah. even if the frame rate of the camera doesn't change. So say you film something with a fast shutter at a normal normal speed, what you get is just like less motion blur. Like mm-hmm. things happen in a very like staccato way mm-hmm. where they seem faster and where details seem like punched in mm-hmm. so that like all of the pieces of glass from the window breaking, you feel like you could count each one or like feel the texture of each one. 
and to just do those two back to back really helps make the whole thing like experiential where you're just in it where yeah. you, you feel the adrenaline and you feel the adrenaline like snap where he reacts suddenly and it's like things go from slow to like too fast and yeah. jarring Oh, it's it's so well done. Absolutely. So well done. The, the way it combines with the music, and then the music cuts out when the window breaks. Uh, he, the struggle. I love how physical it is, and mm -hmm. how Gandolfini gets to give this like really great physical performance. And uh, I love both of the hitmen too. They just they seem very natural. They don't seem actorly at all. They mm -hmm. seem just just very much like in the moment, intense, and 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 like like they're just all like reflex. Yeah. You know, like I could see someone being like, this is ridiculous. These guys can't hit him and all this stuff. And how bad is their aim? They're like right. stormtroopers or something. The directing is so good that you don't feel that. You feel yeah. more like Tony has just like scraping his survival mm -hmm. out of a situation where he shouldn't. Yep. That's how it really feels. It feels like this is a no way out situation. These guys are going to kill him. And the fact that he gets out is just by pure his chance. Own tenacity and yeah and luck yeah absolutely did, did you feel bad for the assassins i felt kind of bad for the second assassin the unnamed guy when he shoots his partner yeah because you realize they've just they've had so many situations here where they've they've just haven't been able to go through with the job and it's just been such a pain in their ass exactly. and then he accidentally shoots his friend and he just has that moment of realization of oh shit and that that i felt i felt kind of bad for him right there that, yeah. yes they just uh, seemed like two guys who got called in and were like, hey, we need you to do this. They said, fine, mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. We're going to drive to Jersey. We're going to go do this hit, and then we're going to go back to, you know, wherever it is that we came from. No big yeah. deal. They yeah, are inconvenienced so much by Christopher <laughs> showing up the first time right. that that's what I started to feel for them. They just wanted to do their job and go home. And Christopher, oh, we gotta waste this motherfucker waste. too. <laughs> exactly, uh, what a pain. Exactly. And you know, they're probably not being paid well. The impression you get from every other member of the mafia is that they they look down on them. They look at them as these kind of just like utilitarian tools of human beings for them to use. They're making racist comments about them left and right. Mm -hmm. So you're like, uh, you imagine the entire hiring process here was just like very degrading and annoying for them Absolutely. and now they're being tasked with killing this important figure which they have no idea about i'm sure like i'm sure the whole idea was get two guys who have no connection with us we'll pretend it's just like some low level job and they'll kill this really important figure yep you know so yeah yeah it's it's just a shitty situation oh, for them gosh. man they need to unionize yeah I know, I know. And Mikey says something too. He says they're not there are no shots above the neck because right. that's something that's so important in right. the mob here because everybody knows everybody. Everybody's fucking related to everybody to some extent. So of course you want to have the open casket yep. like they do in the beginning for this woman so that Junior can reminisce about the time she gave him a hand job behind a chicken shack. <laughs> Which is just, that, that line stood out to me. It's just one of the most amazing things. The fact that Dominic Chianese can just roll that off so naturally. And you're like, yeah, this motherfucker would be like falling apart and would just mention some random embarrassing sexual encounter like that and just blurt it out, you know? 
Uh, yeah, so basically, like, they're, they're tasked with this situation where they can't just kill the guy. They have to be careful about the mm-hmm. way that they kill him because everybody wants it to be, like, a legitimate nice It to be funeral. a classy murder, right? Right, right. And you just see how they're, they're hamstrung from the beginning there. Yeah. Those poor guys. Man, oh, man, oh, man. <laughs> It's always interesting to me, too, like, the rules about assassination yeah. like that. How, oh, this guy was a rat, so you shoot him in the mouth. Or this yeah. guy saw something he wasn't supposed to, so you shoot him in the eye. They've got all these, like, silly little rules about it. But it's mm-hmm. also like, oh, all these low-level people, well, they, they we can shoot any way we want to. But yeah. if it's somebody important, you know, you got to give them a nice murder, you know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you got to kill them up. in a way that the kids will still be happy about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right. It's so weird. What was your favorite scene of the episode? I mean, it's probably the hit. Uh, Just just from a cinematic standpoint, it's so incredible. But uh, there's so many other amazing scenes that stand out too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I also love the scene where Mikey and Junior uh, meet with Donnie after the assassination doesn't go down mm-hmm. the first time. Yeah, So many awesome like tracking shots. Tracking shots. Like the track past the car where Junior like leans out and, and throws, throws up yeah. is so good. That murder is so startling where Mikey kills him. You know, it's, it's the only time that Mikey has ever had the slightest bit of hesitation where he's just like, nah, this guy's all right. We yeah. don't need to do that. Yeah. And Junior is like, no, I don't like them talking about me that way or talking about the family that yeah. way. It's, it's, you know, for Junior, it's all about the air It's of the appearances. Respect. It's it's, it's, it's all about the appearances. Yeah. Exactly. He doesn't want some, some junkie running his mouth. So you have to murder this guy. Mm-hmm. He slipped up and he said one wrong thing and now he's got to die. It shows how completely how insecure unhinged. he is, man. And insecure he is. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, fucking Mikey just walking up to the window shoots through the window and kills this guy and it's all in like a very fluid camera move and it's all like caught in one take you know uh, it's just it it really hits you mm-hmm. yeah so often uh, especially like mediocre action directors will do a thing where it's like guy fires gun in a single then guy reacts in a separate shot and he's like blown backwards with right. squibs going off and it always seems a little corny because it's like you know it's set up and payoff and you you see the mechanics of it but when it all happens just in the single frame like that it's so much more it's jarring realistic and startling mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely yeah so i really like that i love that you know they've got uh, garbage playing underneath it right. which just sets such a mood uh you know really seems like that's like mikey's uh hitman angel of death kind of theme song you know right. uh shirley manson talking about being a vampire uh. it's, it's just fucking cool and then the, when the camera comes past i love that you know we have the shot of mikey and junior staring out of the car and junior is just his giant spectacles peeking over the edge mm-hmm. of the window mm-hmm. to look and he just seems so pathetic so scared so so completely so small. yeah so, so small, small and so not powerful so, small so not yeah. the boss he is just yeah. not able to he doesn't fit the moment he cannot bring yeah. himself to, to to meet the size of the moment Right. Instead, he's like this pathetic voyeur where it's like, what the fuck is that dude doing in the back seat right. while real shit is happening? Ex- he should not yeah. be there. That's right. really what he it shouldn't. feels like. You should not be mm-hmm. there, dude. Yeah. Yeah. 
Man. I guess you could feel a little bad in that way where you're like, yeah, this guy, this old man should not be involved in these shenanigans, you know? He, he should be sitting with Livia in the old folks' home, exactly. you know, playing backgammon. Hanging out with his grandkids. Not, yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah. so i just love it's like another great example of like coulter as a visual director that he communicates so much there you know so much that might not have even been on the page where it's just like oh yeah you know dominic like sit this way in the back seat Mm -hmm. and we'll just see your like glasses peeking over Mm -hmm. and it's so effective yeah yeah uh yeah and then i mean god there's so many other great scenes like it's it's really hard to pick there's so many like wonderful little moments i fucking love uh aj going to his prom with yes. Polly and sill <laughs> sitting opposite like a couple of fucking gargoyles just like don't touch the liquor kid but they don't even have to say that they just glare at him it's such a good sight gag it's so funny um and i love like the quiet sort of sweetness of tony meeting up with melfi in her car mm, in yeah. a parking lot where he just has to ask like did you tell anybody and it's so clearly like he's in this he's really in danger and he just he just needs to know this from her yeah. and she's really accepting in yeah. this moment i think she realizes like the gravity of the situation and she's maybe letting protocol slide Slip. a mm-hmm. little bit she is yeah but in a way where you're like okay you know she realizes this guy is just he's he's in a bad situation and he needs help and even when he like touches her face it's such a an affectionate and very intimate gesture that i think is actually non-sexual i don't think he's coming on to her it's very tender yeah it's very tender yeah i really love that moment and i love the way that she accepts it where she's just kind of like yeah, I get it. You know, we do have some, we have this closeness and this is what he needs right now, mm-hmm. you know? So I don't know. I love that moment really got me too, man. I, ah, I, I love this episode you so do. much. You, bro. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. I know you do. I would say, yeah, that, that scene is also pretty notable for all of the reasons that you just detailed. And just, I could go ahead right now. Melfi, I'd say, yeah, she gets an A, not just for being available emotionally to her client, But then I think by the end of the episode, she's giving him some pretty detailed analysis and is pushing him to confront the fact that Livia is behind the assassination attempt. Like she is really trying to get him to think about the fact that his mom tried to kill him, which is what he's been trying to avoid for so long. Like he has been trying to escape this idea that his mom is capable of of hurting him and perhaps does not love him. I mean, she's really trying to get him to confront that. So, yeah, she she lets protocol slide. And I think this was the first episode where I felt like she might actually be in physical danger. Like, he's confronted mm-hmm. her before and he's, you know, said some really ugly stuff. But this was the first time when I thought, like, oh, man, they're not even in the office. Like, she's having to meet him on, like, you know, in a parking lot on a deserted street in, like, the middle of the night and you know who and else is watching her exactly him yeah, again exactly yeah. like man i really felt for her in that moment um and i think that leads into what you know what happens in the next episode um so yeah she 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 gets an a she gets an a nice. definitely for her efforts also carmela threw some mad shade when she dropped off tony so that he oh, could yeah. see her just that glare from the well, car that- 
that was the first time that, that they she actually saw met. I know. The first time she saw Jennifer I know. as she refers oh, to her. Man. So Ooh. yeah, and it's like immediately, oh yeah, this is the therapist you've been spending so much time with, <laughs> yeah. huh? Fucking Lorraine Brock. Exactly. You know? This attractive uh, so, therapist, huh? Okay, yeah, Tony. Yeah. Clearly <laughs> she's not a fan <laughs> of the whole setup. <laughs> Which is so funny, just thinking back to how enthusiastic she was about therapy, like, in the pilot. I know, she's too hot. Drop yeah. it. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> too hot to, to be helpful. Exactly. Yeah. Uh. Uh, I, I like what you said, too, about Melfi trying to get Tony to put together the pieces of his mother wanting him dead. In the next episode, he gets actual confirmation of this, and, and he's still seems in something of a state of disbelief in a state of just resisting the reality of it. Mm -hmm. But the fact that Melfi knows now, the fact that she is pushing him to it, it's so clear that he's given her all the pieces yeah. of my mom wants me dead. Yep. And so it's like, you look back and you're like, of course he's going to have this reaction of this hallucinated motherly figure who's actually kind to him because he knows his mom is trying to kill him. Mm -hmm. He knows before the, the hit goes down, clearly, because mm -hmm. he's he's let Melfi know exactly the situation between mm -hmm. them. Yeah, I would say either either because of the meds or, you know, his subconscious, mm -hmm. he is very aware of the fact that his mom is going to try and kill him. And so, yes, he creates this elaborate fantasy where he has a mom who loves him and wants to nurture him. Yeah. 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 I love too that we get a bunch of different contexts for the therapy here that we get one scene in the office, we get a scene where they meet at night in a car and also her giving him analysis over the phone. It just sort of it breaks the therapy up and makes it much more dynamic mm -hmm. than having just like three separate scenes in Melfi's office. Yeah, the sit down. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's just credit to Coulter, again, that he, he does that and switches things up and keeps scenes in just sort of an interesting framing. Another example of that that you had mentioned earlier that I just wanted to go back to is uh, Junior and Livia outside of the movie theater mm -hmm. when the hat's blown past them. That scene, I'm willing to bet money, was scripted to be taking place in Greengrove. Uh, okay. And the reason for that is because it actually creates a plot hole in the next episode. You can't really ding this episode for, for setting it up. But in the next episode, the FBI has a recording of same Livia mm -hmm. talking about her son being better off dead. Mm -hmm. And it's from that scene. Yeah. And it's like, how the hell did they record on this windy ass day Fair. outside of a movie theater? Fair. I mean, did did somebody have like a dead cat, which is like a giant like uh for like cover for a microphone and was just like <laughs> sticking a boom mic over the back of them to like pick this up? Because otherwise I just don't see them recording that conversation. I was just gonna ask, like, do you think that they bugged Livia? Uh no, I don't think she's wired. Okay. I mean not uh, wired, but just like, do you think that they had somehow like a mic on her. Uh, yeah, I mean, possibly. Okay. Uh, I guess it could be that, or or, or that a they've wired got somebody person just, just following yeah. really mm -hmm. close with a mic, maybe. But I, I think honestly, it was just that that scene was supposed to be at Green Grove, which mm -hmm. we know is wired, mm -hmm. and 
Coulter at the last it. minute, Coulter was like, let me set it outside and you'll have this really dynamic way into the scene mm-hmm. and we get the wind and it just, it makes the whole scene so much more alive. Yeah. Even if it does create a little like plot inconsistency. That's in the a good next point. One. I didn't think about yeah. that. I'm going to go back to your point about just like the way that uh, the therapy is filmed in the different settings, because I think it's interesting yeah. that what you do, it creates the sense of things unspooling, going from the office to the car to him not even being in the room and it being over the phone, it gets it gives you the sense that things are starting to fall apart because throughout yeah. the season, it's just been the two of them in a room talking about his problems. And then you have three different situations that look very different, you know, where she's providing this insight to him. They go back to doing like the in-person, I think briefly, like one time in the next episode and then that's it. Um, and so, yeah, you do get the sense that things are like rapidly changing throughout the course of the episode. Yeah. And just becoming way less stable, mm-hmm. as you say. Yeah. Um, there's so many awesome lines in this episode, too, man. Like, I love uh, Tony has this line. I'm like King Midas in reverse here. Everything I touch turns to shit. Mm-hmm. That line has been ripped off so many times. Dude. Really? I've heard almost that exact line in so many movies it's so clear that like every hack screenwriter (laughs) watched this episode and then put some version of that in their script for like the next 10 years bro (laughs) Uh, i'm gonna be looking out for that now i guess just to get back to the head a little bit so the attempt on tony's life really is the physical climax of the danger of the entire season Mm -hmm. and as we've been saying It's this unusual structure that David Chase created to have essentially the climactic, exciting moment be in the penultimate episode and the last episode to be more of a a decompression. That's still very exciting. That still has a lot going on, but that feels more more like a wrapping up of loose ends. Mm -hmm. But I think I want to say that the directing of this scene was sort of a game changing moment for television specifically like action directing yeah i think it's just it's so well done it's so experiential and even more than the episode college which i feel like at the time people said oh that's when i knew that this show was great that's when i knew that this show was something really different and really special it's moments like the assassination in this episode and the entire episode as a whole really that i was watching it and i was like For the first time, I felt like I was getting something that was movie quality or maybe even better Mm -hmm. than a movie I could see in a theater Mm -hmm. at home with TV. Uh, Watching this like fairly early in its run, I was just struck by like what a level up Mm -hmm. uh, the production value Mm -hmm. in this particular episode seemed like compared to any other TV I'd watched. Yep. You know? That's fair. Because the show is always so well written, so realistic, so funny, but it can have episodes where it looks a bit more like TV. It can have episodes with slightly more formulaic framing and like seeing how cinematic this show was and that they were able to pull off a sequence like this. It really made me realize, oh, there's there's been a, a shift in media, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. There's been a shift where the bar for quality may not always be on the side of films. Mm -hmm. And I think you go through the whole next decade, really through the 2000s, and you started to see more and more people being like, I can do more exciting work on TV. Exactly. I can get the time to film something 
as well or even better than I would in a movie in a way that's more experimental, more exciting, and I can run with that. Yeah. And so it's like, in a small way, I think this episode is very much part of the legacy of the show, changing television, ushering in the golden age. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's a huge moment, you know? Absolutely. And I think you see the sort of the ripples and the influence of it go through other things. I mean, I I think if I had to guess, I would say when Michelle McLaren was preparing the episode of Breaking Bad one minute, yeah, this was the scene she looked at as like, here's like a template that I can build on. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the, the sequence in one minute is incredible. It definitely tops this in terms of its complexity, in terms of its suspense. It's a much bigger set piece. Mm-hmm. But I, I definitely feel the influence of this episode on that one. Would, I would you agree? agree? Yeah, I would say. De- in fact, like I, I can't think of another scene in a, yeah, in an episode of television that so closely matches one mm-hmm. minute. Yeah, it's just these two. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you look at something like that, and again, it's like another huge show that clearly was like building off oh this is possible on tv mm-hmm. so let's see how far we can take it man uh, just yeah just even talking about one minute like do you remember when that aired like Holy how shit, like dude. how it ended and just kind of like thinking like oh my god like i can't believe i just witnessed that that was one of the most exciting things i've seen on television in like forever oh yeah i i remember because amc was running a parental advisory Mm. for violent content. Mm -hmm. They ran it at the beginning of the show, and then they ran it again when they came back from commercial break for that scene. Mm -hmm. And I remember just being tense the whole episode because I was like, oh, I feel like there's going to be something really, like, gross in this episode. Like, I remember Danny Trejo's head on the turtle from the earlier episode, and I was like, oh, are they going to do something really, like, gnarly and upsetting in Mm -hmm. this episode? And instead, it's just like, no, it's this spectacular action (laughs) sequence that is quite violent. But at the same time, it's like, I just didn't realize what they were prepping me for, and that made it all the more stunning at the time, where I'm like, holy shit, we're seeing this incredible action movie sequence that also has, like, the sort of, like, a Hitchcockian level of like control over the suspense of it Mm -hmm. and uh yeah man I mean fucking A dude Breaking Bad's the best (laughs) so good I mean the Sopranos also the best but I just I they're both you bring it up and it's uh it's immediately such such great feelings such joy flowing back into my system man any other thoughts on the episode well I just I would say uh when Agent Harris comes to Tony and Carmela while hospital. he's being sewed up in the hospital, I find that scene kind of interesting just because, you know, he, he offers them this olive branch. He he offers them witness protection in exchange for, for flipping. And, of course, you know, Tony just tells him to fuck off. Right. And Carmela is like, <laughs> let me let me consider this option. Right. And when, right. when he tries to, like, tell her to, like, leave because she's getting upset, she's like, kiss my ass, Tony. <laughs> I got a vested interest in this shit. I love how sassy she is with him there. Yeah. Uh, but this, this scene struck me though because everything that tony says as far as this being such an unthinkable option isn't oh i'm gonna betray my crew isn't oh what we're gonna like live in Utah, live some or something like that yeah well not i just mean like it's not even that he's so much worried about like the downgrade of like his wealth or his status or anything like that all of his concerns that he brings up right after are cultural mm-hmm. it's all that oh 
what? We're going to like have Mormons for right, neighbors and right. we're going to eat tomatoes with no taste. Everything yeah. he's talking about is like, we're going to go somewhere where there aren't other there Italians. Italians. Yeah. I, that's ridiculous. I, I couldn't live like that. Like clearly to him, that's uh, a fate worse than death. Right. That's his own personal <laughs> hell is just not being around other paisans that right. he can fucking, you know, sit around and, and fucking bust balls and eat gabagool with. That's what he really wants. And so his idea is like, yeah, I'd rather be dead than be fucking living somewhere without my people. Yeah. Without my family. I just, I, I was so struck by that. And what Agent Harris is offering him also is the end of Goodfellas, which, yeah. as we've said many times, is the the inspiration for the show. Yeah. And so it's like, in a way, we've already seen that outcome. Right. You know, we've seen Henry Hill be sort of in this miserable purgatory where he can just like reminisce Mm -hmm. about Joe Pesci shooting him in the head and he stumbles back inside in his bathrobe and it's like oh yeah that's this is the Sopranos just connecting back to that and Mm -hmm. saying like oh yeah we're not gonna go for that ending but you can already imagine what that ending ending would be yeah yeah this is what happens when Henry Hill chooses to not go into witness protection right yeah yeah oh man what an amazing episode, yeah. man! Uh, I could I could go through literally every scene. I fucking <laughs> love Junior and Livia sitting in the retirement home watching the news after the hit yeah. goes down. They're freaking out. They're freaking out, and they just for the first time, it's like this wide shot of them where they just look like two lost elderly people Mm -hmm. in this home and they are the power behind a mafia family and you see them here sitting in their patterned chairs so diminished as they hear about this carjacking gone wrong and uh you're just like yeah yeah what are these old people doing (laughs) they should be here they should not be here they should not be in this situation oh man yeah did you happen to catch the uh hospital scene when Syl and Polly show up, you know, they're walking down the hall. Oh, AJ yeah. and Meadow are sitting, you know, in the bench. Um, mm-hmm. And right above them is that poster that says, yep. keep families safe. Yeah, yeah. It says, uh, uh, safe, families. safe families. Everybody Every- needs one. Yes, there we go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, A little obvious once you latch onto it. But yeah. yeah, I mean, come on. It's it's where these kids are at. They're, yeah. they're in a bad situation that... They have no control over yeah. at all. They are in harm's way, and it's just because of who their father is. Yeah. yeah. But man, uh, at the same time, <laughs> on the opposite side, of the, opposite side of things, Polly and Sylvia walking down the Such hall. Such a good shot. Looking like stone gangsters in those fucking suits, man. Ah, oh, they're so, so cool. They're so cool. Two of my favorite, possibly my two favorite characters on the show. I, I know, yeah, just getting them shoulder to shoulder, just bringing that mobbed up energy right into things. It's so good. Uh, Silvio has so many great moments. I mean, does. I, I, again, I love another scene I love 
when Tony is sitting in his living room and he's clearly like snapped out of his depression post hit mm -hmm. and he's got his crew around him, his family, everybody. You have this awesome scene with all these moving parts where you have all of these different uh, yeah. like pockets of people yeah. talking, whispering behind each other's back. Yeah. It's masterfully it's so done. great. Dude. Yeah. Like from a directing standpoint, just looking back at it, I'm like, holy shit, there were like a dozen eyelines that he had to keep track of in this scene. It's so much. Yeah. And it's so natural and fluid, bro. That's funny yeah. because I think I actually wrote that down. I was like, there is so much going on here. I wrote there's so many dynamics at play. Yeah. And that one was because it's Livia and Junior, it's Tony mm -hmm. and the crew, it's yep. AJ Meadow and Carmella, <laughs> and then Father Phil shows up, and you're like, yes! oh my god, yes, they got everybody yeah. in. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> it's such a good moment when he shows up because you're like, oh my, this dude is gonna hop into the mix. Okay. <laughs> He just seems so like smarmy and yeah. lame Ugh. and coming up and Tony just like, oh, you're staying the night, right? Yeah. Oh, man. He just, And he just seems so out of his, like, he's just so out of place. Like, he dude, is. go yeah. back to the parish, go <laughs> back to the chapel, hang out right. there. You yeah. don't want to be involved with whatever this family has going on. You really don't. Yeah. Find some other soccer mom to watch Ex your Emma Thompson movies exactly. with, bro. <laughs> Stay in your lane, uh, Father Phil. Stay in your lane. Oof. But, I mean, Silvio has a couple amazing moments in that scene. The one where he's like, Gabagool, over here! Yeah. <laughs> it's like, fucking awesome. <laughs> so good. And then another part where uh, Carmela says to the crew, she's like, now you boys, keep him safe. Yeah. And Silvio just points like, he just, like, jabs his finger, like, that's right, she's right, she knows, she knows what's up, guys, that's right, we're gonna do that, we're focusing on that, and it's so fucking funny, man, his physicality just is so great, it just this kills guy, me every time. From someone who has never acted before, I would say it's yeah. one of my favorite, it, like, TV performances ever. And yet, at the same time, we have to assume he has been performing this character <laughs> for his a long entire time. life. <laughs> you just imagine him, like, in the E Street Band, and he's got this, like, gangster, like, caught up inside of him that he can't let out. <laughs> he has to repress it to be yes. a rock star, you know? <laughs> it was only once he got to The Sopranos he thought, finally, I can be myself. Oh, oh, it's man. amazing. Sylvia. What a metamorphosis. It really know? is. Oh, my oh, gosh. Boy. What a character. Yeah. Are we ready for Name That Episode? Are we I doing I think it? so, man. Unless you got anything else you no. want to throw out I, there. I think we, I think, yeah. Did we I get am it? So, I think we got it all. Yeah. Hell yeah. Awesome. Nice. <laughs> all right. Ready to name that episode. Here we go. Oh, boy. I don't know if I'm ever ready, man. You are always, <laughs> you're always coming with the heat. You were throwing heat, bro. I got to be on my toes, oh, man. Oh boy! All right, here we. Go. I've got a special yeah. one for you for next episode. Oh yeah, shit! I know. I'm excited <laughs> about this one. Uh, yeah, next episode, I'm excited. He says we'll with unconcealed sadistic glee. <laughs> All right, here we go. Oh, yeah. All right. All right. First one. Um, yeah. in the second episode of the fifth season of Breaking Bad. A German businessman eats French and then moments later commits suicide. The second episode of season five. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, season five is like the final season part mm -hmm. one, mm -hmm. basically, right? Right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Shit. This episode was directed by Michelle McLaren, your girl. Oh, she fucking rules, Yeah, man. she does. 
Yeah. She's directing a, like a Michael Chiklis show about oh, cool. like uh, stuff at the border. Like, I don't know. I mean, it's on CBS, so it might not be good, but it looks like halfway decent. I mean, I'll give I'm it a watch. about it. Yeah. 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 I think it's called like Coyote. Okay. Something obvious like that. Yeah. Uh, fuck. <laughs> but I'm, <laughs> I'm stalling here. You oh, are. Oh, is this, uh, is this uh, 38 Snub? It is not. Uh, it is not. Oh, no, that's season four, isn't it? I think so. I think that's season four. Yeah. Shit. Uh, okay. It's one word. I, th- I think the first episode of this season is 52, if I'm not mistaken, right? I think the first episode of this season actually might be uh, Live Free or Die. Oh, okay. Because I think that's okay. uh, where it starts yeah. with uh, Walter in um, mm-hmm. New Hampshire. And then the last one, I believe, is uh, Gliding Overall. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, is this one just called, like, Safe? Mm-mm-mm. No? No. Ugh. Damn it. Hmm. Ah, I can't remember, bro. All right, here we go. Oh. So it's called yeah. Madrigal. Right, that's the name of the company. Yeah. Shit. I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say earlier, like, oh, it's the name of the German company. Yeah. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Nice. On to number two. Indeed. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's roll through. Here we go. Oh boy. This season two episode of The Office was directed mm. by Paul Feig, mm. during which Michael and Dwight go to close it on a deal on a condo. While Jim and Pam corral their co-workers oh, to participate in a series of office challenges to avoid crushing boredom. Okay, so this isn't just called, like, the Dundies. No, right? that's the episode before, that's, I believe. That's the, the season opener, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. Okay. And then the last episode of this season is called uh casino night yes Mm -hmm. okay shit (laughs) oh god damn it (laughs) i'm trying to think i'm trying to think because there aren't that many episodes in this season right Uh, i think 13 or something no i think this is one of the full seasons actually this is full season yeah uh hmm so i don't know give me give me a hint about this episode title um, two words, and it has to do with, um, a sporting event. A sporting event? Mm-hmm. But it's not the Dundies. It's not the Dundies. The Dundies is the opener, and that's the one that takes place at a Chili's. <laughs> and it's great. Right, right. Yeah. I love the Dundies. <clears throat> it's one episode. of my favorite episodes. Yeah. Ah. Hmm. But it's kind of the same thing thing in a weird it way it is yeah this episode yeah. is similar yeah. oh is this the episode that ends with uh michael scott getting a medal yes yes yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. and he has like tears in his eyes mm-hmm. and i was like holy shit like mm-hmm. steve carell's fucking going for mm-hmm. it man yeah yeah it's um um you got the episode it's olympics yes yeah uh yep it's so not close. like dunder mifflin olympics nope. close it, it's two words it's just this is just Office Olympics. There you go. Ding, ding, yes. ding, ding, ding. There you office go. Olympics. Yes. Dude, that, ah, uh, his performance at the end of that episode is so fucking good. It man. is. Ah, uh, uh, that's where he's just, yeah, yeah, uh, channeling that, that dramatic energy. I man. know, the poignancy, it's all there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, season two is amazing, man. It's, it's my favorite really, season of the show. 
same, same for sure. But I say that having not watched like four or five seasons oh. of the show. <laughs> Never I mind. fell off so early. <laughs> I, I am not really qualified. And yet I feel qualified because I'm like, yeah, I saw I saw the best shit. Whatever. You did. You know? Honestly, you yeah, did. Yeah. All right. All right. Last one. Here we go. This one isn't going to have too many hints, but uh, here we go. Ooh, okay. Yeah, I know. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> not giving the hints on yeah, this. Yeah, not at all. All right. It's all actually right. one. I think this is going to be pretty easy for you. But here we go. All right. This is the first episode of The Sopranos to feature on screen the youngest child of Johnny and Livia, whose name is Barbara. Barbara. Giulione. Oh, Barbara. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ah, yes. That actress is very cute. You know, those brunettes with the, like, sharp cheekbones, man. They get me every time. Uh, <laughs> Just figure yeah. out that name of the episode. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, isn't it um, the season two opener, Guy Walks Into a Psychiatrist's Office? There you office? go, there you go. Awesome. Good job, dude. Yeah, season two, very strong as well. Season yeah. two, you're just like, man, the production values are so, so high. So good, yes. So solid. And the show just has, it's like pacing and it's look and the tone so down. Yeah. I just don't think that Chase and company ever really figured out a better story to tell than season <sighs> one. That's I, what I keep yeah, coming back to. Yeah, I, I, I want to... I'm I'm kind of just watching a little bit of season two at a time, um, so I'm yeah. I am curious, you know, how I will feel about, you know, season one of The Sopranos after mm-hmm. having watched season two. Which, given yeah. the opener, I was kind of like, man, like, wait, well, maybe season two is the better. I yeah, I know. I'm debating. We might have to come back. I know. We might have to double dip on this shit. I oh. I think five really deserves like consideration too. Gotcha. I think yeah. I think the Christopher and Adriana arc in five mm-hmm. is so strong. Um yeah. I think the only thing about five is that five is like maybe the most open ended season. Mm-hmm. It really ends on a cliffhanger, which I think takes it down a notch for me just because I find the last season a little unsatisfying. Mm-hmm. Seasons one and two both wrap up so well, so mm-hmm. definitively. They really feel like complete units of storytelling. Yeah. And it's easy to judge them as a complete complete product. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's tough. They're all good, They're man. All it's good. a good fucking show. Oh, love yeah. it. So happy to be talking about it. <laughs> Dude, I'm so happy to be talking about it with you, bro. Yeah, man. Ugh, it's such good a times. good time. Absolutely. Yeah, man. Hell yeah. <sighs> all right. Well, uh, in conclusion, I uh, just want to say... Thank you for listening. Uh, We hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe on whatever podcast app you're using. And uh, we'll see you back next week for the finale. There are going to be all sorts of surprises in store for me, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Phil's got all kinds of tricks up his sleeve. (laughs) Phil, the the dubious, the degenerate, (laughs) the shifty. Uh, uh, that's my former but name. But those are those are just a few of few of my many titles that I've accrued. There you go. <laughs> along with my sordid reputation. <laughs> so uh we'll see you back for that. Peace. Peace.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.